Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Hello everybody, my name is Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to my podcast in the book of Revelation. In this series of podcasts, we're going to look at the book of Revelation from chapters 1 through 22. What did John say? How would John's readers have understood what he said? And what does it mean for us today? After we survey the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, we'll then record some more podcasts that will examine some of the more popular topics. What about the beast and the Antichrist and the rapture and some of the more popular topics? For those of you who are interested, I encourage you to get a copy of my book, Follow the Lamb. It's a guide on how to read, understand, and apply the book of Revelation. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth podcast. For now, I hope you sit back and enjoy our study of the book of Revelation. Today's study takes us to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, we're going to see uh, in chapter 16 through 19, we're going to see the judgments uh, upon the political, economic, and religious systems that oppose God and His righteousness, which are symbolized by the beast, the false prophet, Babylon, and the kings of the earth. Now, we have to remember that Revelation was written uh, to the church as a warning to them, more so than the world. You don't suspect that non-Christians are running around the Roman world are going to pick up the book of Revelation and read its warnings and go, uh-oh, wor- I'm worried. Instead, this is a, an admonition, an exhortation to the church, and we'll see that uh, as we proceed. In this chapter, what's going to happen is an angel who's going to be identified as the first angel, then the second angel, then the third angel, etc., is going to appear. He's going to pour out his bowl, and the bowl is going to be poured out upon the earth, the sea, the rivers, the springs, the sons of the sun, the kingdoms of the beast, and the Euphrates, and then the air. And then the consequences of the pouring out of the bowl are then going to be described. The pattern, this, this pattern, is going to be expanded in the sixth and the seventh bowl, and the sixth and seventh bowls. The first three uh, bowls are going to affect nature and the elements of nature, but the last four bowls are going to affect the forces that bring persecution and deception uh, to, to God's people in the church. Revelation chapter 16, verse 1 says, I heard a loud voice from the, from the temple saying the seven angels, to the seven angels who had the seven bowls, go and pour out in the, the seven bowls of the wrath of God into the earth. The first, first angel went and poured out his bowl into the, into the earth, and it became loathsome and malignant sore upon the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. And the third angel poured out his bowl in the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you have judged these things. For they have poured out the blood of your saints and prophets, and you've given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The first thing to notice is that the seven angels with the seven bowls very much parallels the seven angels who had the seven trumpets, referred to in chapters 8 and 9. In fact, if you compare the seven trumpets with the seven bowls, they're virtually identical. In both cases, they're modeled heavily upon the Exodus plagues. The judgments, we find out, are the answer to the prayers of the saints. How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? We're told, in fact, in the description of the seven bowls, that the very reason and purpose for God pouring out the bowls of wrath upon the, upon the world is because they have poured out the blood of your saints and prophets and you've given them blood to drink. It's very important to note the language there. Some translations won't be consistent, but it says in each of the descriptions of the, each of the seven bowls that the angel went and poured out his bowl into the earth. And then it says in verse 6, they poured out the blood of your saints and prophets and you've given them blood to drink. They deserve it. 
The language is this language of uh, of lex talionis, the, the language of uh, the eye, an eye for an eye, and uh, uh, the punishment fits the crime. Uh, God's pouring out his bowls of wrath upon the earth because they have poured out the blood of saints. The fourth bowl is described in verse 8. It says, And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of their pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river the Euphrates, and its water was dried up, that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garment, lest he go about naked and men see his shame. And they gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, because the plague was extremely severe. We notice that in the fourth plague, the sun's intensity is increased. A contrast with the righteous in chapter 7, where it says that the righteous will not have the sun beat down on them any longer, nor any scorching heat, because the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Instead, now those who fail to repent have the sun's intensity uh, uh, bursting down upon them. The fifth bowl has the throne of the beast and his kingdom is plunged into darkness. Uh, the throne uh, in, in chapter 2 uh, was referenced to Satan's throne in the city of Pergamum. The beast is empowered by the throne of Satan, perhaps. Note again that these uh, plagues do not bring them to repentance. The fourth plague, I was told that they, they blaspheme the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. And the fifth, uh, the fifth angel, it says that they, they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent uh, of their deeds. The sixth ball now describes the preparation for the kings from the east to battle. This, of course, has brought about a lot of speculation and interesting ideas in, uh, in Christian theology. Uh, it says now that the waters of the Euphrates were dried up, that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. Then verse 13 says, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits that look like frogs. <clears throat> well, we note, of course, that this is perhaps the satanic trinity, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. This is the first time that the false prophet has been referred to as the false prophet. In chapter 13, he was just referred to as the second beast. But now we're told that he's specifically titled as the false prophet. Coming out of their mouths were three unclean spirits that look like frogs. The mouth, of course, is probably a reference to deception. Unclean. Uh, the NIV translates it as three evil spirits that look like frogs. It's very important here to remember that the book of Revelation, as I mentioned earlier, was addressed to the church. The reference then to the false prophet, well, the false prophet is used throughout the New Testament as falsehood within the church. Many false prophets will come among you. A false prophecy takes place only amongst believers, and it suggests that the second beast activities may actually be taking place more so in the church. 
That John's addressing the church is noted by the fact that verse 15, which in most translations is uh, put in parentheses, John says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his garments with him, lest he walk about naked and, and men see his shame. The parenthesis then tells us that the purpose of this passage is to warn believers. The trials that are happening are for the righteous, and the righteous are going to suffer. So stay awake and keep your clothes with them. Nakedness in the Old Testament is a metaphor for God's accusing Israel of unfaithful idolatry. Here, it's the reference to the need for faithfulness. Keep your garments with you so that you won't be naked and shamefully exposed. The clothes, we're told specifically in chapter 19, represent the righteous deeds of the saints. So the warning in this passage then is about false prophets and, and false teachings that will infiltrate God's people and infiltrate the church. And the church needs to be awake and to be careful. This verse 16 then says, They gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now we're going to look at the idea of this battle and this war, which we're going to see in chapter 19 and chapter 20. And we'll discuss more perhaps in a podcast that takes place after we finish the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. At this point, we'll note that John says that the battle takes place at a, uh, takes place in a place that's called, in Hebrew, Har-Mageddon. Now, what's interesting is the different translations. Uh, the ESV says it's Armageddon. The NI, New American Standard that I just read from says Har-Mageddon. Uh, Net Bible, uh, NIV, and New Living Translation all say Armageddon. And the New Revised Standard says Harmageddon as well. We're almost absolutely certain that the Greek manuscripts uh, affirm the translation of Har with an H, H-A-R, Harmageddon. Uh, Armageddon with an A, beginning with an A, would mean the Battle of Megiddo. Um, Harmageddon would be the Mount of Megiddo, Har being the Hebrew word for mount. The problem is that no such mountain exists. Megiddo is a city in the valley, in a, in a valley or in a plain. Now, Megiddo itself uh, the city that's located in the plain, is well known in the Old Testament as a place for great battles. It's the place where Deborah and Barak defeat a, a superior force from the Canaanites. It's also the place where King Ahaziah dies during Jehu's revolt, and where the good king Josiah is killed by Pharaoh Necho. So it's a place known for battles and where wars, especially between the northern and southern kingdoms, take place. Um, the problem becomes, Har-Mageddon seems to have the very strong weight of the Greek manuscripts. But Har, meaning Mount of Megiddo, doesn't make sense. There is no Mount of Megiddo. That's why some of the translations prefer Armageddon, even though the manuscript evidence suggests otherwise. That it would be the Battle of Megiddo. As we're going to look at later, we're going to notice that throughout the book of Revelation, the war that takes place is the war of Satan and the beasts against God's people. Remember chapter 11, verse 7, the, the beast comes up out of the abyss and makes war with the saints. In chapter 13, verse 7, we also saw the beast making war with the saints. The warfare that takes place in the book of Revelation is of the, of the world, the nations of the world, and the beast who empowers the nations, and the dragon who empowers the beast, waging war against God's people. Well, God's people are already re were referred to in chapter 14 as walking on Mount Zion. So perhaps the idea of a battle being taking place on a mountain is because that's where God's people are located. Why Megiddo? Well, perhaps because that's where the major wars in the Old Testament period took place. We're going to have to again look at this in more detail uh, as we go a little bit further. The seventh angel then pours out his bowl. And his bowl is poured out uh, into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple saying, it is done. This represents the end, uh, the, the finish, the second coming of Christ. In verse 18, John says, there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. Then in verse 21, he says that there were huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, which came down from heaven upon men. 
and men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, because its plague was extremely severe. The reference to flash of lightning, sounds, peals of thunder, and an earthquake is a very important literary aspect in the book of Revelation. The first time we see a phrase like this, it occurs in chapter 4, verse 5. From the throne proceed flash of lightning, sounds, and peals of thunder. Then, after we saw the description of the seven seals, uh, we, we see a reference in chapter 8, verse 5. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire and, uh, from the altar and threw it to the earth, and there followed peals of thunder, sounds, flash of lightning, and an earthquake. So the description in chapter 4, verse 5, said peals of thunder, uh, lightning, and, and sounds. And now, in chapter 8, verse 5, we see peals of thunder, sounds, flash of lightning, and an earthquake. After the description of the seven trumpets in chapter 11, verse 19, it says, There were flashes of lightning, sounds, and peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. So what we're seeing is this literary development. Beginning in chapter 4 with flash of lightning, peals of thunder, and sounds, all of a sudden in chapter 8 it becomes an earthquake, and now in chapter uh, 11 there's an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Now in chapter 16 we see not only uh, the repetition of the same idea, flash of lightning, sounds, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, but the earthquake is intensified. It was an earthquake that there had never been such an earthquake like, like it upon the earth. It was so great and it was so mighty. And in fact, reference to the hailstone is intensified as well. Verse 21, huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down upon hev- uh, from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, because its plague was extremely severe. What we see in this then is the literary development. John is writing for us the, the narrative of the book of Revelation, and there's these literary elements uh, within it. Uh, this goes against the common perception that the book of Revelation is just a vision that John saw, and he writes down everything that he saw. Instead, we're seeing literary elements to it, that John's writing a narrative, and he's writing a story, and he's developing that story. And as that story develops, this particular key phrase intensifies and continues to bring us to a climax. The climax now is found here in chapter 16, verses 17 through 21. And it's probably a reference, indeed, to the second coming of Christ. The temple of God in heaven was open, and a voice came from the throne saying, It is done. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.